Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and I'm broadcasting from my home studio today uh, on this wonderful Wednesday uh, afternoon. It's the uh, the feast day, or at least a memorial, of St. Bonaventure, who was um, a Franciscan. And uh, he brought, I guess, what could be called a certain amount of uh, intellectual or, or theological um, uh, gifts to the Franciscans, uh, to the Franciscan order. Uh, pretty awesome. And uh, because I am broadcasting here from my uh, home studio, it's quite possible that you may uh, be treated to some uh, background noise from time to time, whether that's a crying baby or big trucks rambling by outside. Uh, you never know. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but today... Uh, I'm praying that we don't have uh, too much uh, technical difficulty like we did uh, the other day when we had this show. I've already started out. I've got a couple things here I'm trying to figure out as I uh, as we broadcast. And, you know, and I have to remind you folks that uh, uh, I am male, which means that I can only do one thing at a time. And right now I'm reminding you that you are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show on You Supported Real Life Radio. My name is Jeff Young. I am your host, uh, the Catholic Foodie. And uh, we're going to be talking today about ways that we can save money while putting delicious home-cooked meals on the table for our families, particularly in the summertime. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, schedule changes uh, quite quite a bit uh, during the summer. And I have to admit that sometimes uh, it could be quite challenging those summer schedules you know it kind of disrupts the uh, the routine and routine can uh, certainly be good uh, especially when you're trying to keep a schedule and keep things on task and uh, summertime kind of disrupts that and and it, so it, it's even though we have less uh, less commitments perhaps uh, don't have to get the kids to school or uh, things of that nature uh, still, uh, it can be somewhat discombobulating, I think. And uh, so we'll talk today about uh, how to save some money uh, while putting delicious home-cooked meals on the table for our families. I do want to thank you for listening to The Catholic Foodie Show and remind you that you can always be a part of the show. You can call me at 985-635-4974 and leave me a voice message. I can play that message here on the show, and I'd love to do so. The number again is 985 635 4974. And because this is real live, I guess you could say, real live radio, <laughs> you can also call in live by dialing the studio number. It's 855 949 1380. 855-949-1380. So if you have a, an idea, a tip uh, to save money this summer that you want to share with me today, feel free to give me a call, 855-949-1380. You know, we say that Real Life Radio is you-supported, and that might just pique your curiosity. If it does, you can find out why we say it and how it benefits you by going to realliferadio.com and clicking on the Care to Share link. That's realliferadio.com. Now, before we get into talking about money-saving tips today, there are a few things I'd like to share with you. Uh, the first is, uh, th these are things about the Catholic foodie that I want to share. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. 
I've been doing the Catholic foodie thing here since uh, 2008. It's been a tremendous, uh, tremendous blessing uh, to me in my life. And and one of the things that makes it such a tremendous blessing is to see how um, how it impacts the, the lives of others. You know, I get to, to hear feedback from folks about how they are perhaps inspired to get back in the kitchen or perhaps they were never uh, someone who enjoyed cooking, but they saw the importance, they saw the need to, and they saw it as a wonderful means to bring their family around the table and to grow in their faith and to grow in relationships with their uh, their children, their spouses, whatever it may be. Uh, and, and, and the Catholic foodie somehow gave them that extra encouragement, that extra little nudge to get back into the kitchen or to get into the kitchen for the first time and to try their hand at, I don't know, something as simple as maybe scrambled eggs or something more elaborate like baba ganoush uh, or hummus. Uh, or as someone just a couple of weeks ago did, they made uh, pita bread from scratch. Uh, what what a wonderful thing for me to hear uh, that, that this thing <laughs> called the Catholic Foodie, catholicfoodie.com, that it really does help people. It really does bring folks closer to uh, to their families and, and closer to God. By taking advantage of these these meals, which, I mean, traditionally speaking, we, we eat three times a day, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner are the traditional meals. And they're opportunities, really. Opportunities. We have to eat. We have to eat to stay alive. We have to eat to grow. We have to eat to sustain ourselves. But we do this within the context of a meal. And we have these three opportunities a day where we can gather with family, friends, even strangers uh, around the table and grow not only physically, but in faith uh, with each other uh, and in relationships with each other. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, just recently... I came across something that was written. I can't believe this. It was written like over a year ago, and I'm trying to find it now. Um, this is from the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne. We're talking about Australia, Melbourne, Australia. And this was something that was written in March of 2014. I just came across this uh, over the weekend, and I couldn't believe it. It was it was just so cool. Apparently, the um, the Archdiocese of Melbourne has uh, reviews. They review websites, and uh, this is what they. This is Rebecca Comini is the one who wrote this back March 3rd, 2014 for the Kairos Catholic Journal. And it was on the, the website of the Archdiocese of, uh, of Melbourne. Uh, it says, uh, where food meets faith is the tagline for the Catholic Foodie website, catholicfoodie.com. The site was established in 2008 by Jeff Young, an American husband, father, and former educator who is passionate about faith, family, community, education, and food. Based in New Orleans, Louisiana, it is not surprising that Southern comfort food seems to be his speciality. Uh, one recent post explains the difference between Creole and Cajun cooking and how both cuisines came to be synonymous with his home state. The Catholicity, and this is the important part, folks. This is what I'd really loved to see. This is the important part. The Catholicity of the site is not explicit. There are no holy pictures or prayers on the homepage, exclamation point. Rather, Jeff Young has integrated the Catholic aspects into his posts and recipes. For example... A post about Blessed Teresa of Calcutta and the Memorare fits seamlessly 
between posts about hatch chili chicken tortilla soup and Lebanese hummus and homemade pita bread. Each article and recipe is tagged, so if you are after a particular type of meal, main, salad, dessert, or cuisine, it's easy to find. The recipes call for many U.S.-centric ingredients, but with the help of Google, it is easy to track down where to buy unusual ingredients or to find out the alternative Australian name for ingredients listed in his recipes. As with many websites these days, the Catholic Foodie also has a presence on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and a popular podcast available through iTunes or on the website. I can't believe that. I get all these interruptions here. Wow. All right. You can... Also subscribe to a website and uh, receive email updates. I thought that was fantastic. I wanted to share that with you because it really does speak to um, what I have always tried to do, which is to meet people where they are uh, and to to extend an invitation. In, in the book, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie, Middle Eastern Cuisine, I likened my role as the Catholic foodie as being a um, – a welcomer, someone who stands at the, who opens the door and welcomes people inside. You know, I stand at the door right outside the church, and I'm not saying that I'm outside the church, but just figuratively speaking, right? I'm not necessarily talking to people who are sitting in the pew. Although I do have a lot of pew sitters who are listening, that's fantastic. I really want everybody else out there to listen. And I want to be the one, a greeter, standing at the door with the door open, welcoming them into the church. And that's what I try to do, which is why I don't uh, typically, now there are exceptions, there are exceptions, but if you if you look at the book as an example, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine, it's not based on the liturgical calendar. It's not uh, a book full of recipes that link food with uh, feast days and saints. That's not that's not really the approach that I take. I'm trying to get down into really what you could call perhaps a theology of the body for foodies. I mean, going all the way back to Genesis and seeing what creation's all about, what God is all about, what we are all about, and how he made us and how he made this world that we live in, and then trying to fit ourselves right there in the way in which he made us to fit. That's, uh, that's really the point uh, behind the Catholic Foodie, and it's something that I am so happy uh, that it, it resonates with people. You know, it apparently does uh, resonate with folks. And, and, I, and I can see that when I see... Uh, reviews or comments from people like this one from the Archdiocese of Melbourne. Pretty neat. I'm going to put a a link in the show notes over at uh, catholicfoodie.com. Excuse me. I will put a link uh, in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com. And uh, we also, I have something else I want to share with you today is another... um, blog post, actually, that uh, that was published in the National Catholic Register. My friend Sarah Reinhardt had something really awesome to say about uh, the book, Around the Table with a Catholic Foodie, Middle Eastern Cuisine. I want to share that with you today before we go um, into talking about uh, what we're going to talk about today, saving money, saving money while still putting delicious home-cooked meals on the table for our families uh, this summer. 
And uh, that, that can be a challenge, of course. It certainly can. Uh, but but it's also a very good thing. We also have uh, voice feedback today from Angela Cialana. Believe it or not, Angela gave me a call again over the weekend, and she has some really good things to say. We're going to hear from her when we get back from our break. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie, and I'm excited to be here with you today. It's a Feast of St. Bonaventure. I love Francis. Pope Francis, but also St. Francis. St. Francis was the first saint that I made friends with after I had a, uh, an amazing conversion experience at the age of 15, 16 years old. Uh, that's, a, that's a story that I shared on Living Witnesses. Uh, with Mary Graham just, uh, what, about a week ago, I believe. I'm sure you can find that over at, uh, uh, on Podbean or on the, the website over at realliferadio.com. That was an a, a, a awesome conversation I had with Mary, uh, talking about, uh, you know, how this normal Catholic or nominal Catholic, <laughs> that's what I was growing up, a nominal Catholic, uh, Going to mass with my mom and my sister because I was supposed to. I was pretending that I was Spider-Man when I was a kid, you know, the, going to mass. And uh, we had rafters that were exposed in the in the church, you know. It was, it's just part of the decor of the, the church that I went to in Baton Rouge. And uh, nine times out of ten, I was pretending that I was Spider-Man during mass, swinging from the rafters. And, of course, you know, bad guys would come storming in through the, the back doors of the church. And I'm slinging webs and beating baddies, you know, instead of really being engaged as a child, you know, with what was happening on the altar. But that's uh, that's life, you know. That's life as a child. Ch- children go to church. They may not fully understand uh, what's going on. Matter of fact, adults oftentimes go to church out of obligation and probably have no idea what's going on. They, too, might be pretending to be Spider-Man uh, or Batman. You, you never know. You never know. But at the age of uh, 16... Something happened that radically changed my life, and it really did change the course of my life. Um, I guess you could call it a hinge moment. It was a moment that um, uh, that 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 altered the course of my life. Instead of just going through the motions, instead of um, just going to church, and and it's just another thing that I do. I had an experience uh, in in which I learned, in which I became aware that. Jesus is real, that all this uh, gospel stuff, this church stuff uh, is real and uh, a tremendous, tremendous uh, blessing in my life. And it, and it really did. It radically changed the course of my life. You know, it came about through two things. It came about through the Catholic charismatic renewal and it came about through uh, devotion to Our Lady. And I talk about this on on Living Witnesses. Uh, I was dating a girl when I was uh, 15 years old. And uh, when I would go to her parents' house, her, her mother and father at the time had been involved in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal for about 13 years. And they were actually uh, leaders in a local prayer group. And what really struck me, they weren't trying to proselytize me or, or get me to go to anything. It was nothing like that. They were just being themselves. And any time that I was there at the house, 
to listen to these people talk about Jesus, it was like it was like they had just had coffee with him that morning. You know, I had never heard anybody talk about Jesus that way. I had gone to Catholic schools for most of my life. The first couple of years I didn't. But after that, uh, most of my life I had been in Catholic schools. I had taken religion classes every year. And yet I had never heard anybody talk about Jesus like they talked about him. It's as if they actually knew him. And that was uh, that was powerful. And it really did uh, strike me to the heart and it made me want what they had and uh, which is eventually what led me to start going to that prayer meeting that they went to on uh, Thursday nights and then eventually to go through the Life and the Spirit seminar, which uh, culminates in the fifth week. It's a, it's a seven-week program where it's basically just giving you the, um, the basic gospel message, the good news. That's what it's all about, proclaiming the basic gospel message, the good news of the gospel. And in the fifth week of people who are there who are putting the seminar on actually pray over you for what's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is not really a baptism per se. That's the term that's used, but it's really a, um, a stirring up of the grace of the Holy Spirit that you receive in baptism and in confirmation. And, and that particular event for me in 1985, no, 86, 1986, that event for me took place on July 16th, 1986. That's uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the anniversary. Um, I was 16 years old. I just turned 16 in June. And I had been growing in prayer and my awareness of, of God's presence and of his love for me as I had been, you know, encountering this family and then going to the prayer group and then again going through this Life in the Spirit seminar. And the fifth week, the week where we were prayed with, was actually on July 16th, 1986. Six, And tomorrow will be the anniversary of that, uh, which is the feast day of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So it shouldn't be a, a surprise that uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel has uh, always played a significant role in my life. Mary, we call uh, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, another aspect of my conversion experience was um, Marian. In nature, uh, having heard about the uh, the the uh, 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 alleged, at least, uh, appearances of Our Lady in Medjugorje, uh, it got me to start praying the rosary every day. And so I started doing that, praying every day. And when I would read uh, spiritual books, do some spiritual reading, I like to read about Our Lady, Mama Mary. And I read a lot of different books. And one of the books I read, this was going, this was later, this was in 1987, Uh, One of the books that I read was called True Devotion uh, to Our Lady or True Devotion to Mary and written by St. Louis de Montfort and uh, pretty amazing. And part of part of his his plan, his in his book, what he talks about is this consecration to Our Lady. And he proposes a preparation period for this day of consecration which is 33 days long. The preparation period is 33 days long. And so what did I do? I said, uh, and usually he likes to say, you know, he, you start it 
on a day where the 33 days will end on a Marian feast day. That way you make your consecration to Our Lady on her feast day, which is a great, great, um, excuse me here, folks. I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn that off. I'm going to have to figure a way to, to, to do that. Like I said, I'm at my home studio today. <laughs> Not at uh, the big studio. And that's, that's uh, we got to roll with it. We just got to roll with it. Uh, one of the things that uh, that's interesting about um, about this preparation period, you know, he recommends doing it on a feast day. And what I wanted to do, well, I just wanted to make the consecration. I was so excited about what I was reading. I just wanted to make it. I didn't care when it was. So the day I finished it was the day I want to finish reading the book. The day is the day that I wanted to start the preparation period. Now, wouldn't you know the way that God works that it just so happens that starting that day, I would end up 33 days later making my consecration on July 16th, 1987. The Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, one year after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that was nothing that I planned. It just happened to be that way, and I thank God for it. And uh, it was such a delight for that reason. It was such a delight. When I went to the Holy Land in 2013, which is the basis, by the way, the, one of the, one of the, the basis of, of the book that I wrote, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine, it was such a delight to actually go to Mount Carmel. Uh, that was uh, one of the highlights for me was to actually be there at uh, at Mount Carmel in the Holy Land. So anyway, why am I telling you all this? I, I, I don't know. I think I was trying to uh, lead up to the fact that tomorrow is a big feast day for me. Tomorrow is a big deal for me. It's an anniversary, a, a twofold anniversary, uh, the, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And you know, it'd be interesting. It would be interesting for me to do a show uh, with feedback from you. I'd love to know, do you have a story like that? Has God worked in your life like that? Is there a particular saint or a particular uh, uh, Marian title that has figured greatly in your life? Uh, Perhaps Our Lady of Mount Carmel, perhaps Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Lourdes, St. Francis, St. Bonaventure, somebody like that. I would love to hear about it. You can give me a call. Leave me voice feedback at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. And uh, let's see. Uh, we are going to talk. I did say we're going to talk about uh, saving money, right? Saving money, uh, making meals this summer. And we are. But I also want to share with you. Well, first of all, I got to tell you, folks, that um, unfortunately, uh, I am having some technical difficulty here from the studio. And uh, Angela, I do want to thank you for leaving that feedback for me. Uh, we're going to have to wait till a different show for me to play it. Uh, I just can't get the audio to come through right here on uh, on my home studio. I apologize for that, but I will uh, I will play that next episode. In the meantime, uh, there was another article that came out. Uh, this one came out over the weekend. I think it was on the 11th uh, by my friend Sarah Reinhard. Sarah Reinhard uh, blogs over at snoringscholar.com. And I've known Sarah for years. Uh, Sarah's wonderful. We have actually met in real life um, on more than one occasion. 
Um, I think I had the pleasure of actually cooking for her uh, at one point. And and for for about a year or two, uh, Sarah used to produce a uh, a segment a segment uh, for the Catholic Foodie podcast called um, Mary in the Kitchen. And it was usually about a, a five-minute segment where she was talking about something Marian and linking it together with food and uh, and the kitchen. That was a delight. That was back when I was producing the Catholic Foodie podcast uh, on a weekly basis. And a lot has happened since then with both of us, and that's very exciting. And I'll have to tell you more about the article she wrote when we get back from our break. You are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, the Catholic foodie. I'm excited to be here with you today. The Feast of St. Bonaventure, the day before the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. That's what I was talking about last segment. Very exciting. Very exciting. At least it is to me. I hope it is to you. If it is, and if you want to tell me your story, please do. Give me a call, 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. And don't be discouraged. I know I'm I'm not able today to play the voice feedback from Angela that she sent over the weekend, but um, fear not. When I get back to my studio tomorrow, it's on. <laughs> so I told you before the break that uh, I had another uh, article that came out this past week. It's over the weekend that I'm very excited about. My friend Sarah Reinhard, snoringscholar.com, a friend, author, former contributor to the Catholic Foodie Podcast, uh, all around great girl. Uh, she wrote an article for uh, the National Catholic Register called Gathering Around the Table with the Catholic Foodies New Book. Now, Sarah is just, a, she's wonderful. I love Sarah Reinhardt. She is fantastic. And she has so many good things to say in her usual, just, um, what is the, the term here? She's so personable. You know, when she writes, she is just so personable. And in her very personable way, which can also be sometimes self-deprecating, which is cute, is wonderful, uh, She she talks about, the book, you know, Sarah likes to joke that she is not really a, a cooking kind of person, right? Not really a kitchen kind of person. And uh, early in our uh, friendship, uh, that was a, a topic of conversation. I mean, even with producing the segment called uh, Mary in the Kitchen, it was always kind of a funny thing because she would say, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, I hate to cook. <laughs> And uh, she came in to, to, she had been to New Orleans uh, a couple times and we got to meet there. We got to meet at some conferences and, you know, um, Catholic New Media Conference and all that kind of stuff, uh, different times over the years. And when she came to New Orleans, I was actually able to cook for her. So that was just a, a, a joy. And again, we, we joke about that from time to time. She'll comment on pictures of food that I cook and say, oh, that looks like it's so wonderful. You know, do you deliver up to Ohio or <laughs> if you're looking to move anywhere, you can move up here. You know, those kind of um, jokes. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, you know, she says, uh, I mean, I don't want to read through this whole thing. I am going to uh, put a link in the show notes over at uh, catholicfoodie.com. 
but there are a few, uh, I guess, little excerpts from this article that I do want to talk about. Uh, I love the entire thing. It was it was very well done. And she really was very, um, excuse me, very complimentary to the Catholic foodie and also to uh, to the book, which for me is is very humbling. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, thank you very much, Sarah, if you are uh, listening Uh, She writes, years ago, I heard a reference to a podcast that sounded like it would be interesting, if irrelevant, to me. The friend recommending it, herself an avid cook, thought the idea of food meeting faith was both novel and applicable. I quite agreed. I do not, however, really like to cook. And while I like to eat, I couldn't imagine that spending the time listening to a cook talking about uh, food would be very interesting however Catholic they may be. I kept hearing this Catholic foodie guy, though, and he seemed pretty interesting. He seemed like someone I would like even if I don't like to cook. Out of curiosity, I finally tuned in. Now, close to six years since I listened to my first episode, I'm looking at a book by Jeff Young, The Catholic Foodie. It's a natural progression, really. All that energy, of his to spill over into something that could be dog-eared and ingredient-stained. Published by Liguori, Around the Table with the Catholic Foodie Middle Eastern Cuisine is filled with foods I'm pretty sure would cause a riot in my house. That doesn't matter, though, because if anyone has convinced me that I should at least try, it's Jeff Young. His Catholic Foodie apostolate has grown over the years and has it has embraced at every turn the fact that food and faith go hand in hand. His vision is that families need to eat together, and so do friends, by the way, and that this is inspired by none other than Jesus himself. The Mass, after all, is a banquet. Around the Table isn't just a cookbook, though it assuredly is a cookbook. It's also a story chronicling Jeff's pilgrimage to the Holy Land, the background of his cooking and his vocation, and the founding of the Catholic foodie. The photographs are big and lick-worthy. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and the pages are full-colored, partial gloss, with those cover flaps that you can tuck in so you don't lose your place. When I was testing the book out, though not <clears throat> by actually cooking anything out of it, Yet, I found that glory of glories, it would lay flat on my counter, on my bed, on my couch. I could actually use it in the kitchen. It's magazine size too, so those of us in denial about the state of our vision have hope of using it and getting the measurements right. And if I know Jeff Young, that that's what he had in mind. He poured a lot of his heart and passion into this cookbook, and it shows and the reason he did it, the driving force, is so that we could that we would get off our couches and away from the takeout order line. Who knows? I may find myself inspired to try something sometime soon. I've been feeling adventurous in the kitchen. And between the stories and the pictures included in this collection, I'm feeling all foodie wannabe. Who's this book for? It's for you. It's for anyone who seeks to grow in faith around the table. It's for anyone seeking Catholic culinary inspiration to get into the kitchen and to gather with family and friends around the table. My sincere prayer, and this is coming from me, my sincere prayer is that the stories and recipes in this book will inspire and encourage you to find God with you around the table of the Eucharist and around your family dinner table. So that was the 
article by Sarah Reinhardt in the National Catholic Register. Thank you again, Sarah. So awesome and uh, so so well written. So awesome to to get that kind of a, a review from you, and also very humbling. I want to thank you uh, so much for that. You know, I'm not the only person who talks about food and faith, uh, who notices and sort of highlights the connection between food and faith. Uh, Father Leo Padalinghug of Grace Before Meals, and you can find him over at gracebeforemeals.com. He has written, I think, three books at this point uh, on food and faith. Uh, you know, there's, there's room enough in this town for all of us, right? What I have learned is that despite what my teachers told me in elementary school and high school, uh, in real life, redundancy is a good thing. Uh, that comes as a, as a fact, whether you're talking about uh, advertising, whether you're talking about content on a website, or whether you're talking about talking to people, right? You have to keep repeating things and to do so in different ways because we all hear things differently. We all see things differently. We don't always, our eyes don't always catch things the same way as other people. And so it's good to have a single message go out publicly in a myriad of different ways. Take you know, food and faith as an example. Father Leo Padalinghug does a fantastic job. He has a cooking show on EWTN. Uh, he does a lot of YouTube videos. He does a lot of collaboration with other um, ministries like Catholic Relief Services, as an example, as they always gear up every year for the uh, Operation Rice Bowl, or they actually call it something different now. It's the, the Rice Bowl ministry. You know what I'm talking about. So he's uh, very active in that way, uh, writing books, preaching. He does do a lot of um, public uh, speaking. Uh, I don't know necessarily if it's retreats, but I know he's been like at the Steubenville conferences and, and other places around the country. And he can entertain as well as preach and teach because he has a black belt in karate and he is a former uh, award winning break dancer. I mean, amazing guy. I remember back in 2009 on the uh, the Food Network, um, Throwdown with Bobby Flay was the show, uh, and 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 uh, Father Leo was issued a uh, a challenge by Bobby Flay, and they have they had an episode they did in 2009, uh, Throwdown with Bobby Flay. I don't want to ruin it for you. I don't want to tell you who actually won the Throwdown, but let's just say that. A particular somebody that you would expect to have God's grace on his side did indeed have God's grace on his side. So that was very exciting. I don't know if you can find that episode on uh, on the Internet somewhere, but uh, if you can and you haven't seen it, um, it's worth a watch. It's It was delightful. Food Network did an excellent job. Bobby Flay apparently was uh, or is a former altar boy. So when he was younger, I'm assuming he grew up Catholic. Uh, but a really good show. It portrayed priests in a wonderful way, in a very positive way, and it portrayed our faith in a positive way. And what was it all about? What was the context? Food and faith, right? Food and faith. So you have you have good folks like uh, Father Leo out there doing the same thing, trying to encourage folks to be, you know, to get to get in the kitchen, to get around the table. This link between food, faith, relationships, how important it is to grow in our relationships, not only with uh, each other but also with God. So we do have a break coming up, I think. 
Yes, we do. We have a break coming up. So uh, you are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. We'll be back in just a minute. Young, the Catholic foodie, coming to you today on a Wednesday, which happens to be the feast of Saint Bonaventure. You know, I've I've always loved Franciscans. I've I've always loved uh, Franciscans. And when I when I had my conversion experience, I talked to you about that uh, in the second segment, I believe, first or second segment today. Uh, St. Francis was the first saint that I really made friends with after that experience and uh, just just always always felt a connection with uh, St. Francis. So anytime we have a, a feast day like today, even though I'm not technically Franciscan, I feel it. You know what I mean? <laughs> or maybe that's a, a wannabe feeling, uh, wannabe more Franciscan or something. I had thought about doing the secular Franciscan order uh, multiple times in my life, but it just it doesn't seem feasible because the closest uh, group around here is about an hour away, and I already have you know family obligations and, and obligations at my parish, and don't know how I would make that uh, really consistently a, a part of my life at this point. But uh, you never know. You never know. Again, I'd love to hear from you if you have any kind of special connections with a saint or perhaps a Marian feast day uh, like I have coming up tomorrow with uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. I'd love to hear about it. You can give me a call. Leave me a message. I could play it here on the show. Just give me a call at 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. All right. Now, we are going to talk about ways to save money this summer on putting food on the table. There's an article that I came across uh, this week uh, from U.S. News. It was uh, U.S. News and World Report, and it just got me thinking about this, you know, got me thinking about uh, saving money. And it has some pretty good tips here, so I want to talk about a few of these with you. Uh, The name of the article is Six Ways to Trim Your Summer Food Bill. With these summer savings, it says, or with these savings... Excuse me. With these savings, summer will never taste so good. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but it is it's, it is very helpful, I think, especially if you're feeding a family uh, to, to save money as, as best you can. Uh, it seems like the price of things are going up every time you turn around. Uh, but here's what this uh, this article offers a few suggestions that I really thought were were beneficial. So, the first one it talks about uh, is to grill. It just that's the, that's the tip to to grill instead of uh, using your oven. And I talked about this on Friday. One of the downsides of using your oven in the summertime is that it is so hot outside. Your air conditioner, if you have central uh, AC, your air conditioner is working double time trying to keep the house at a at a decent temperature and uh, when you turn that oven on the oven doesn't just heat itself interiorly a hot oven is going to heat up a kitchen and perhaps a dining room and perhaps that heat will bleed over into other rooms too so you're making your house hot from the inside but if you go outside and you grill outside uh, yes, it will be a, uh, a hot experience, 
for the chef, for the grill master, uh, being out there in the heat with, in addition to the, the heat, I know down here in New Orleans, it is virtually unbearable. Uh, I think it's going to be in the hundreds uh, this week. And uh, just incredibly hot. A lot of humidity. Very hot. However, you're cooking in the evening, let's say. It gets a little cooler as the sun goes down. Uh, but you're there cooking over a hot grill. So, yeah, you're going to get hot, sweaty. Uh, my wife likes to point out to me whenever I come in from grilling, I always stink. You know, I smell like smoke. I smell like charcoal. I'm cooking on charcoal these days. And uh, you can't help but smell like smoke when you come in. But grilling will help you to save money because you don't have to worry about keeping your, the, the AC or turning it down lower. You're just going to uh, not heat it up by grilling outside. And the, the cool thing about this, and they bring this up in this uh, article, is that you can grill more than just chicken and hamburgers on a grill. You can cook a lot of different things. I actually have a, uh, a hot plate. It's kind of a, a there's a it's it's a griddle actually. It, it's designed to go over. It's metal designed to go over to fit over uh, burners on a stove. And on one side, it has uh, you know grill lines. It's, it's, it's actually like a, a not a flat griddle, but a uh, it has ridges. You know, so if you were to to sear something on that, it would have grill marks. That's that's basically a one side. If you flip it over, it is a flat cooking surface. Now, the thing is, I don't have to use that on the stove. If I wanted to, I could take it and put it on the grill, heat that up really well, and I could cook on that flat surface if I wanted to. I could scramble eggs. Um, I can cook. uh, I could saute vegetables on there. I could put fish on it if I wanted to. I mean, there are a lot of different things that you can do just by using the, the, the grill itself as a source of heat, right? As a source of heat. Just get creative out there. Um, one of the things that it mentions here, which I find, I find, uh, interesting, uh, there are products out on the market right now that make this an easier thing to do. And perhaps in the show notes uh, over at catholicfoodie.com, I'll put some links there for for you. You may, you may want to go check this out. You know that I love pizza. I've talked about that on the show. We talked about that, I think, on Monday. And I played for you part of a interview that I did with uh, my friend Andres Lagsden of The Baking Steel. Uh, he's up there in Boston. He developed that um that product a couple of years ago called the baking steel, which basically replaces your baking stones. Uh, you don't need to use stones anymore when you see what this steel does. I think you'll see uh, its value right away. Uh, but the baking steel, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was just saying that I talked about pizza the other day. You know, I do love pizza. You could actually make pizza on the grill. And I've done this. I have done this before. It's uh, it's actually not a bad way to do it because if you're going to get your grill, sometimes you can get your grill hotter than you can get your oven, right? You're going to be using your lid, of course. You're going to have to put the lid on there. But if you get it real hot, you have something to set the pizza on, like a tray, some sort of a pizza tray. You throw it in on top of the grill, close the, the lid and let it cook. You, you can indeed... Uh, Come with come up with some uh, really good pizzas out of out of off the grill, I should say, off the grill. But there are products out there today that make that a lot easier. There is a product, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But what it does is it allows you to uh, use 
the baking steel on like a regular Weber charcoal grill. It, it's a, it's an interface. It's a sort of a, 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 a I want to call it a mod, you know, uh, but it's not a mod. It's, 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 um, it's a, it's a component that you purchase in addition to the grill. It fits on the grill and it holds everything in place. You have to keep in mind that a baking steel, uh, weighs 15 pounds. It's, it's a quarter inch piece of steel. It's a 15 pound thing. If you were to set that just directly on the, the grill of like a, a Weber grill, a standard Weber charcoal grill. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd question whether or not the, uh, uh, the, 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 the little, the little pieces that are welded on to hold that grill in place, whether they would actually hold that 15 pounds on top of whatever food you're putting on it too. That would be uh, tricky. And you don't want a five to 600 degree baking steel to crash through your Weber grill, you know, but they do have these uh, components that you can purchase that uh, help to modify the grill so that it can hold it. And uh, it actually gives you a, a neat little way of just sliding your pizzas in and out with a pizza peel. Uh, so it's not fully a hundred percent enclosed. It does have a little space, kind of like a, a pizza oven. If you look at some of the traditional pizza ovens in a restaurant, um, I know folks who have built pizza ovens in their backyard. It's, it's open, right? But you got wood fire or charcoal, uh, heating it and it does have an opening to, to slide your pizzas in and out. So that's an excellent option. I love that. And, uh, perhaps I need to try to do pizzas on the grill more often. Just got to figure out a way. Got to figure out a way to do that uh, with the baking steel. Perhaps, maybe, I'll put my Weber grill at risk and see if it uh, see if it'll hold the steel. And I'll report back to you and let you know how that how that works. Here's another uh, another tip for saving money: uh, pack picnics. You know, instead of cooking inside and making something elaborate. Why not uh, get out and enjoy the great outdoors, especially the evening time when it's a little cooler, whether it's your backyard or front yard or uh, a, a park that's close by. Pack a picnic, just something simple, sandwiches, vegetables. Uh, you can put it together into a, a backpack or something and, and either go outside or a blanket or you know your backyard or go to a, a local park. So that may be one way to enjoy the great outdoors and also have uh, a little uh, a little cheaper experience in, in putting dinner not on the table here in this in this tip but but on the ground on a blanket uh, for a picnic uh, buy fresh produce is another one you know the summertime is great for this uh, a lot of farmers markets all over the country uh, you may even have your own garden you've got tons of, uh, of, of fruit vegetables uh, available and also roadside stands we've got we've had produce all over the place and typically it's inexpensive right it's just it's, it's there and when you're not buying it at a grocery store you're buying it out you tend to get a better price so that can be a little way to to save money especially making big salads i love to make those big salads onions uh with with maybe some sweet onions tomatoes cucumbers all of that little oil and vinegar salt and pepper uh delicious salads inexpensive to make in the summertime when everything is fresh and available uh you can always um Here's a, here's a big one. I'm going to leave this with you because we're running out of time. But whenever you travel, if you're going on vacation, instead of stopping and picking things up along the way, here's a big tip. Make stuff in advance. Pack it with you. 
uh, could be snacks, could be some sort of a, of a meal. We may have to revisit that, or I'll give you some tips over at uh, CatholicFoodie.com. You have been listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on You Supported Real Life Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Young, The Catholic Foodie. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, bon appetit.